Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Hey everybody, Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay. But you'll usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. This week's episode was recorded live during a charity live stream on the Geekscape YouTube channel. We're joined by Geekscape founder Jonathan London to discuss What's Up by Four Non Blondes, a polarizing song that either has you plugging your ears or screaming along. The band's career might have been short-lived, but lead singer Linda Perry's songwriting career has been a beautiful party. Should Four Non Blondes have took a deep breath, got real high, and made another album though? We figure out what's going on in this episode. Or whatever that means. Into a crisis, times when I'm lying in bed just to get it all out what's in my head. One hit is all you need to make the most.
money guaranteed And you can live off royalties forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder Welcome, Jonathan. You are here to talk about Four Non-Blondes, What's Up? Which, first question, do you like this song? Are you a fan I, of this song? I am, and I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think that I also liked this song at the time. The problem with this song is that this has become a karaoke go-to <laughs> if you're at a karaoke <laughs> bar. And there has never, ever, ever in the history of humankind been a good performance of What's Up by Four Non Blondes at karaoke. It has been painful, probably caused me to let, leave the bar that I'm at anytime someone has done this. So that is my major problem with this song. It's also like a four plus minute song too. And I think that anybody who goes to karaoke and doesn't keep the ball moving and just does like a four minute song, yeah, that better be a damn good performance. Uh, I think karaoke is great when everybody keeps it three minutes and under. Yeah. And just it's also keep, the, keep it moving. The song in general, just from the start, I could see how this song rubs people the wrong way. A lot of the songs that we cover on here are very polarizing. People will either love them or despise them. I kind of like this song, but I can totally understand why someone would absolutely hate this song. Linda Perry's vocal delivery in this song is grating at times. It is frustrating and aggravating in a lot of ways. I kind of think it's fun. I think it's a very fun delivery. It's, if nothing else, it is memorable. So I got to ask, did either one of you listen to the full album? Because <laughs> Yes, I did. So Fortnite Blondes has a very similar career trajectory to one of my favorite bands from this show, New Radicals, in the sense that they recorded one album, broke up before there was ever a second album, and their lead singer went on to have a much more successful career writing songs for other people. have to say, listening to that album today, it is, to steal a phrase that Chris likes to use, it is the most 1991 album I think I could have ever <laughs> listened to. Yeah, it is, and that was the... Those couple of years like produced like bands that I loved. I've been wanting to do the Spin Doctors on this show. As soon as y'all make it two hit wonder, like I'm on. Like I want to talk Spin Doctors, <laughs> but th I think that this is one of those five songs from this era where it just immediately transports you to where you were when you heard this song, and especially that Tarzan yell singing. That's like <laughs> it's, it just sounds like the Tarzan ay, 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 <laughs> like. Like she just goes off, and I I like the vocals. I listened to the whole album, and I kind of agree with Linda Perry when they made this album, and she knew the song was going to be a hit, and she told the record label like, let's please not focus, uh, like don't even put the song on the album. They'd really cleaned up the song and gotten rid of all the imperfections that she loved about it. What? And it, yeah, so so she there were loved, more. <laughs> there were more yeah, like weird things she, about this song. Yeah, she wrote this song in her bedroom while she. She had just gotten a puppy, nice. and she could hear uh, the other member of the song uh, of the band, um, Krista. She was the bass player at the time, and uh, she could hear Krista having sex down the hallway because they were roommates. <laughs> and she was playing the song, and in Krista runs down the hallway and says, "Hey, what is that? You got to bring that into practice. That was really good." And like Linda Perry <laughs> likes stuff that is you know Velvet Underground and Zeppelin and all that stuff that had like weird stuff in the songs and and she liked the imperfections and the the producer of the record label 
kind of ironed all that stuff out. And Linda Perry was really unsatisfied with both the song and how it came out and the album. And they did start recording a second album, but she was like, I'm not going through this again. Y'all are taking everything that's interesting about the music and getting rid of it. And that was like a big blow to her. And she knew that if we, if we come out with this song, which was the second single, no one remembers the first single, to prove her right, this is going to dominate the album and no one's going to remember. We need to build slow. And this song came out and that's all anybody looked to them for and no one remembered any of their music and they weren't a band they were a song are you telling me that chris de hillhouse mid-sex went hold on a second I, it <laughs> what, depends on what how is long that beautiful sound <laughs> what is that amazing sound i hear from down the hall when she heard oh my god do i pray <laughs> i genuinely thought that this story was going so differently because you started with buying a puppy yeah she, and i was she, like you oh, gotta read this fun of like the way the puppy was howling like no so so it, we'll, we'll get to it but i think in like in in 2019 or so she did an interview with rolling stone because by that point she had produced a bunch of amazingly successful songs for like pink and christina aguilera and in like these pop groups which was something else that she never thought she was going to be a part of was pop music she wanted to be darker and more like weird rock and roll and she's doing this interview for rolling stone and she tells this story and yeah you know krista runs down the hallway and says this is amazing you got to bring this into practice and it was so amazing that nobody really remembers too much more that they did which is really a shame because her career shows that she was pretty talented that she is really really talented she's still doing this and she's still really good at it well the other thing that i I want to mention because you brought up the spin doctors right i love now like the spin doctors seem like the perfect band for like four non-blondes to be playing shows with. But mm-hmm. the only band that I saw in the entire Wikipedia that was mentioned that they played a show with was Primus. And I couldn't think of a more <laughs> like hot water to cold water movement than going to a show to watch four non-blondes open and then be immediately followed by Primus in 91, which would have been like pre My Name is mud but they're up there doing like jerry was a race car driver at this point yeah but it was also a showcase in like call in like in san francisco so people were ready for that stuff and That's fair. this is yeah. like a cmj style but west coast showcase in san francisco and i remember in college radio going to cmj and just they didn't i mean these bands are just slapped together it was like going to south by southwest like you see people on the same bill and you don't unless it's a, a straight record label showcase and it's just a bunch of bands getting in where they can get in. Uh, yeah, you're going to see people up next to each other. But that being said, like early 90s, it's a pretty eclectic stuff, man. Like, yeah, for sure. Cobain they describe this as open. neo. They describe this as neo folk, which I think, honestly, like as big as grunge was, I would say that's probably the second biggest modern rock sound in like the early 90s was <laughs> those like acoustic guitar like kind of folk, like I think of like Blind Melon. I think of another band that was on the charts at this time, Soul Asylum. Like that kind of folk influence, but like with just enough of that Seattle sound blended into it. Well, a and bit. I saw them both in concert. Those bands that you just mentioned, like <laughs> Blind Melon. My buddy, we went to see them open for Smashing Pumpkins at the big fairgrounds outside of Austin, and we got separated from our friend Jake. And no cell phones, you can't find somebody. You get separated at a fairground. And I remember Jake freaking out because it's also like right after, you know, the early 90s, the AIDS epidemic. And then like 
realizing like we all had to read that ryan white book in in high school in middle school do you remember that ryan white book about the yes. the poor kid who who got aids through a yes. uh, blood transfusion yep. and so you know we're in middle school we're not very smart kids and we're definitely not aware of the truth about the epidemic and i remember someone jake claims that somebody in the pit stuck him with a needle oh <laughs> and he lost his mind Jeez. and like when we finally found jake like an hour later, he's like, we got to go. I got to figure this out. Like, I don't know what happened. I, like, he thought his life was over. And he probably just, like, ended up getting poked by somebody who had something sharp in their leather jacket or something. Like, it was a rock and roll, giant, massive concert. Like, sorry, dude. Like, I don't know. But he was freaking out. He was like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, God. He thought it was... It's pretty sad. I'll be honest. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm freaking out a little bit right now. We need to change the subject because that is a very scary thing to but think about. But yeah, it was about. Blind Melon. That's a horror movie right there that I can't believe hasn't been that's made like a, yet. Yeah, that's that an A24 is, film. I listened to this album three times in a row while I cleaned my house before we recorded this. And I got to say, it's a lot funkier than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, right. So yeah. I want to talk about that because... Something that blew my mind in doing research, and I'm not saying that this was Linda Perry. I'm not saying anything. I have no information on this, right? But the Four Non Blondes was formed by a guitarist, a bassist, and a drummer who formed a band as a group of friends, and then they met Linda Perry and were like, that's the vocalist we need. And somehow, by the time they got to the recording studio, two of those three members were fired from being in the band. Yeah, the producer was like, you're out, and you're out. (laughs) Wow. But he fired the guitarist because he said she wasn't a strong enough guitarist for the band, right? Afterwards, she went on to play guitar for Parliament Funkadelic, which I feel like might be a little (laughs) bit more guitar involved than the four non-blocks. Yeah, she still plays for George Clinton. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) She's had a wow. long career so, with George Clinton for like over 15 years. She might be in PCU so, for all we know. Is, <laughs> is there a chance that she got fired from the four non-blondes and then she went, I'm going to show you you non-blondes what's up and just played guitar nonstop every day until she joined Parliament? Is there a chance that happened or was it just... They didn't like her personality and kicked her out of the band. That sounds probably like more of what happened, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I think I'd like to believe the like, I'm just going to eat, sleep, and just live off guitar playing until I'm good enough yeah. for George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelics. Yeah. It'll do that to somebody is be like, oh, you want to kick me out? All right. Well, I'll just keep going then. And then you do. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> That's a movie in itself right there. But yeah, I guess it was just whoever was working is like Linda Perry is the talent here. She undoubtedly has range. She undoubtedly by her resume can write songs. Yeah, I mean, funk on this album and also felt like some southern rock or something like it's just this amalgamation of all these bands you're talking about. Everyone from Soul Asylum, Spin Doctors, um everybody that had that it was the early 90s. Remember how stuff was yeah, popular Ani DeFranco got in the mid 90s? Sure. Like sure. huge. Huge. Right. Right. Yeah, I it's like kind of like white people with dreads <laughs> at festivals with hemp necklaces but also you're going to get like stuck with heavy needle. music. It's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely Chris is uh, certainly describing the vibe of like what Woodstock 94 tried to be for sure, which was definitely 
you know, I watched that Woodstock 99 documentary and it starts off with some footage from 94 and there's a lot of hemp necklaces and white people with dreadlocks out there. Like that was And devil sticks. And devil Lots sticks. Of devil God. sticks. <laughs> the devil sticks need to make a comeback. We brought up their name. I think I actually like their name less reading the real reason on it beyond just like I just assume they're like, "Hey, we're not blonde. Let's just call ourselves the four non-blondes." The the real reason is that they felt like a woman who had blonde hair, who had kids who had blonde hair, were judging them <laughs> um, because they didn't fit into the California lifestyle, which, I mean, feels like a very 23 to 24-year-old perspective of how things were when I think the reality is that that woman absolutely was paying them no mind whatsoever and just moving I, on with her life. <laughs> I thought it was just the general vibe of, like, <laughs> the, of the... You know, the Pamela Andersons and Jenny McCarthy's and whatever of the world being the people that, you know, were put into the limelight and were famous. And they're like, yo, we're, we're non-blondes. And I think that probably appealed to a lot of women who weren't blonde. You know, there is kind of a, a bias, I notice, against blondes sometimes in my conversations. But then you got I like Cheryl Crow and Liz Fair busting out really around that time too and they were not blonde sure. and it's it, it makes me think what matt was saying and i started laughing thinking about being in your young 20s and thinking yourself different but the level of umbrage and spite you have to everybody else in order to define who you are you're almost hostile so i can imagine them like matt said sitting there and the woman pays them no mind and they're like yeah f you too just out of a complete <laughs> unprovoked need to be like other and it reminded me of this time i was living in new york and there was a, a street kid it, was, it his girlfriend and he was selling he was trying you know he was trying to get some some change donations cash whatever he was on the subway right uh and so he's sparing for change and he was trying to sell these postcards that he was putting he was calling them his art but it was yeah. a postcard sized piece of cardboard that he'd taken off of a box somewhere up on the street somewhere and he had used his girlfriend's makeup in some whiteout to draw on this thing. And it was some of the worst effing artwork you've ever seen in your life. And I was trying to be polite. The It's almost a completely empty subway car. He comes over and goes, hey, do you want to buy some artwork? And I was like, uh, uh, is that your artwork? I should have just said no right then and there. But I, I was trying to be nice. Uh, I said, is that your artwork? And he goes, yeah. And he hands it to me. Don't ever take this stuff. This is like the lesson that Derek learned later when he visited L.A. And he was walking down the, the Venice and somebody was like, hey, you like hip hop? And just handed him the CD. And then it's like, you know, sorry, buddy. Hot potato. So homeless hot potato, <laughs> as we're going to call it. And so I ended up touching this postcard with the, with the whiteout and the, the eyeliner drawing on it. And he's like, pretty good, huh? And I was like, it's interesting, right? Which does not mean it is good. It means, yeah. And so I said, here you go. And he says, you don't want to buy it? And I said, no, I, you know, it's not, it's really not my, my thing. And he goes, suit yourself. And then the door opens and they get off. And I was like, try, still trying to be nice and salvage, you know, my part in the social construct. And he goes, in the social agreement, he goes, and I was like, hey, good luck. Take care. And he goes, Fuck you, I don't need your fucking luck. I'm a genius. And she's like, his girlfriend's like, Yeah, he's a genius. You're a fucking idiot. This is gonna be worth a million dollars. Wow. Hey mate, how do you know? You didn't follow up. Maybe yeah. it is. <laughs> that maybe that was Banksy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? But when Matt maybe. was talking about you know, Linda Linda Perry ended up 
being successful. You know, I don't think she carried the same amount of hostility that this guy on the subway did either. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast, but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. At Maximum Mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. I have a big question when it comes to the music video for this. Is Linda Perry steampunk? No, she's she. what she's wearing is like kind of Mad Hatter, like... Mad Hatter. It was like, because in the other videos, she's wearing that Mad Hatter hat. And I'm like, yo, they need to do a video where it falls out and a bunch of rabbits pop out or something. Like like something with that re- like hat needs to go crazy. Or they take it off. The 90s were a time for wacky hats. The 90s were a time for wacky hats. We could talk about how they did the Airheads theme song. But what if she removes the hat and she's one of those uh, SNL characters, Dan Aykroyd had, what were they called? The... Um, with the long, with the tall head, cone heads. The cone heads. Like, she, <laughs> yeah. what if she was just hiding a cone head, and suddenly you know that it's like a tie-in, a ninety-one tie-in for the release Dude, of the movie? That would have been. I genius. agree with what? Chris though. Nineties were prime weird hat time. One of my favorite yeah. bizarre performances is if you can, if you look up when Tribe Called Quest and uh, Leaders of the New School 
perform scenario on the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> Buster Rhymes had a giant cat in the hat, like one of those. You remember, you could buy those giant, like yeah. felt yes. cat in the hat hats. He has it on the whole time, and then it gets to his verse, and he takes off the hat. And you think something really cool is going to happen. He flips the hat upside down. He starts doing it like, watch as I combine you to the mind. And he's like reaching his hand into the hat. And then he just pulls it inside out. And it's a different design. And he just puts it back on his head. That's so anticlimactic. No, that's awesome. That is so anticlimactic. The 90s weren't just a time for wacky hats. They were a time for, in specific, cat in the hat hats yes that was the time for them <laughs> the jinkos and, and everything and having a giant mushroom running up your leg of your jeans or of your pants like the, just a giant what? weird mushroom remember those jinkos that had like the giant mushroom on the side <laughs> no but they sound awesome <laughs> 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 hey what i thought you were gonna say jonathan would be amazing is if she finally if linda perry finally took off the giant hat and you know what spilled out more tinier little Linda Perry's. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Actually, that that totally destroys what I was going to say. But I, I was going to say a giant giant locks of blonde hair. Oh, how sick would that be? <laughs> if if she, that was then, the big reveal years later. And she throws later. the hat on the ground and says she quits. That was the day yeah. that the band died. <laughs> yeah, that would be sick. <laughs> But the little Linda Perry's popping out would be even better. <laughs> it's um, like Army of Darkness. Jonathan, I want to correct you too. Let's not let's not throw falsities out here. Okay. They had a song in Airheads. They did not do the Airheads theme song. They had a song in Airheads. Yeah. Yes, they covered they a, a Van Airheads. Halen yeah. song, and I just oh, yeah, recently watched Airheads. So it's during the scene where they raid the record portion of the radio station. They're grabbing all the CDs to play. It's their cover of I'm the One by Van Halen. That and that must have been there. painful for somebody who like saw the commercialization of their music as something that like wasn't like was counter to everything they wanted to do as an artist. That must have been a pretty that and that was a probably a pretty difficult chapter right there. I don't know. They they commercialized the shit out of that band for 2 years. They were on that soundtrack, they were on the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack. Mm-hmm. They did the tribute album to the Carpenters. They did the tribute album to Led Zeppelin. They were they were putting their stuff out there on I don't totally buy that per se but you think that's yeah. part of the narrative of being like an edgy counter culture like artist is part of it yeah you, you I, have to say that you didn't want to do that stuff just to like sell it for for sure because there's something like that's the thing that kind of always bugged me about the movie singles <laughs> is like it's not like this was an indie film no it's cameron crow yeah you're like oh no we're we're not part of the counter culture but we will star in this cameron crow movie <laughs> like like i i think that there's a little bit of i think 92 93 you had to pretend that you really hated the fact that you were famous but like people who hate that they're famous don't agree to star in a movie made by like one of the biggest directors in Hollywood at that time. Are we talking about Gen X now? Is that what we're talking about? Because yeah, Gen I think X we're is just on Gen X as a whole. that thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, Man, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Like, we don't want to yeah. work. We don't want to do anything. We don't want our parents to be around. We want to sneak in. You know, how many times, Chris, growing up, did you have to like figure out how to pry open a window and climb in from the outside because you didn't have a key to get home? Or the key was somewhere else. You know what I mean? A couple times. A lot. A couple like, times. I just remember yeah. all we being like, oh, the neighbor's going to see me climbing in to the house again because I have no idea where the key is. Definitely. I, I've climbed in through at least the window once or twice because I left the key at the house coming when I left for school That's or whatever. That's a generational thing. That's a Matt Kelly thing. That is a Matt Kelly thing. I think Gen X, it could be summed up in two words. 
<laughs> you know what those two words are? Is it Reality Bites? Janine. Oh. Janine Garofalo. <laughs> yes. She was in she was in Reality Bites. Yeah. I think Reality Bites sums up the Generation X more than anything else because oh, like God. don't get me started on that movie. No, I just all I'll say, I've said it a million times. Watch that movie. There is zero reason for her to go with Ethan Hawke over Ben Stiller in that movie. It is a terrible choice. <laughs> but think about the value yeah. system, Matt. <laughs> These are people, myself included, who when they watched Ferris Bueller were like, oh, God, I love him. He's so hilarious. And you think of Ferris Bueller now, and he's the biggest piece of garbage. Like, he is a complete asshole. And Zach Morris. Dude, horrid <laughs> human beings. Just, like, complete yeah. scam artists. And... Uh, you just wonder, and it's like, how did things get worse? Well, we idolized Zach Morris in Ferris Bueller, who had the value system of—I mean, they're—I mean, they're probably going to be presidents one day, but it's just <laughs> yeah, the way it works. <laughs> they're just grifters, yeah, for sure. Bringing it back around to the four non-blondes, um, yeah, I don't know what what else. What was going on when this song hit? Well, it peaked at fourteen. That's it. This was one of my favorite things that I've had to write down for any of these chart notes because I just think this is really funny. So the number one song, Chris, you'll be very excited. UB40's cover of Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Love it. The Sliver era. Yeah. So <laughs> It's a great film. The, no the number two song in America was tag team, Whoop! there it is. But number 11 was 95 yes. cells, Woot, there it is. So Woot, there it is. <laughs> I was a bigger fan of Woot, there it is, but somehow Whoop there it is became the <laughs> we got to write the third what would the third one be like <laughs> um, was, was it did one have a p one had an m one had a and one, one had, had a t. t so that leaves yeah. you a few more letters Whoop. that you can work with <laughs> yeah you don't want to say wool because that's an actual word yeah it has to not be a word right uh -huh. how about wook there it is Woop. i'll take <laughs> can we write wook there it is now which one was like the tag team back again was that in both songs? that was tag team Woop. That's, okay that's tag team i want to know did they ever come back again? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did so. They did so. Yeah, because they did an Adam's Family about? song, right? Oh, okay. There <laughs> no, we go. No, 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 no. They came back recently in those commercials. Wait. Is that coming back or is that like, you can't, it was the same trick? That was a big comeback. What, what, what was that for? That was for money. <laughs> I, I know, but it was for like, was it Geico? It wasn't Geico, right? Oh, Scoop, there it is. So yeah, it was for Geico. Okay. Yeah, Scoop, there it is. Yeah, yeah, right. Such variety in the top 10. So these are just a few of the songs that I picked out that, that are still heavy hitters to this day. You've got Proclaimers, I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles at number three. All right. All or right. at number four. Onyx Slam at five. The already mentioned Soul Asylum, Runaway Train was at number eight. Oh my God, <laughs> and there then, were multiple versions of that video because they kept saving, like having Runaway Kids like found. Yeah. Do you remember that? Wow, really? Oh my God, Chris, the whole point of this video, when you watch it, it has yeah, images. Yeah, I remember the video. I didn't know they found the so kids. So they had images of these kids, missing kids in the video, and they made several versions of this video because yeah. some of the kids would come came home and yeah they right that that video was responsible for so many kids coming back and re like finding their being found it was awesome the one kid that wasn't found tried to sell me a postcard on the new york subway <laughs> yeah okay well did it also result in some kids getting lost to try to get in the soul asylum video <laughs> it's possible maybe and then chris i put this on there because she's your girl at number 10 janet jackson with if <laughs> Wow. If I was your girl. Yeah. But like discovering this, here's the reason I love this song and the reason I love this era because it was not one of my older brother's Iron Maiden 
tapes, which was like my like I didn't have my music. I had the like my first tape I ever owned was the Billy Idol song that had like money money on it and all that stuff and you know that was that was my tape and that was my music but i didn't have my music i had my older brother like letting me have an iron like iron maiden tapes when he was done with them metallica tapes when he was done with them but it really was never it was too it was too hard for me it's too tough for me and uh mother's milk the the chili peppers was like the one where i was like oh i only really liked this because it had boobs on it and then i liked it and i liked the stevie wonder covers amazing and i liked the chili peppers and i was like what's more music like this and then thank goodness kurt cobain blew it open because suddenly like a lot of bands are like the chili peppers and doing the funky thing and doing the eclectic music and now you have all sorts of cool bands to listen to and that of course led to the record store shopping in austin and seeing a comic book looking poster on the outside window of sound exchange on Waterloop, and it was for Kerplunk, and that was like once I discovered Lookout Records, it, I discovered everything. And that was that was hmm. that whole era, you know. So now you have my little biography on how I got into there you music. Yeah, and there was never a bad album released by Lookout Records uh, from that point never. on. Never, no. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but the hits coming out of Lookout. Well, Records. Well, we talked about it a lot, Chris, but that can of pork oh. Lookout Records like comp was yeah. gold. <laughs> Yeah, changed my life. Changed my life perfect. forever. The, John, before we even hit record, uh, before this live stream even happened, we did mention one story that I do think is worth bringing up uh, that, that I found on the wiki page about the song What's Up, and I think you had read the same thing. But basically, the song was written well before the Four Non Blondes, really. And at the time, both Linda Perry and the lead singer for Third Eye Blind, Stephen I Jenkins. think it's Stephen Jenkins, yeah. were hanging out at a diner and they were just playing each other's songs. Like, oh, this is a song that I'm working on. And at that diner meeting, she showed him What's Up and he showed her Semi-Charm Life. And they were both like, man, these are really great songs. I think so- we got something here. And uh, it was just recently that uh, Stephen was doing an interview and he said, it's not until recently that I realized that those two optimistic teenagers in the diner had just handed two songs to each other that would collectively sell 17 million records. It's insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. I mean, that's a cool story. I've heard that Stephen Jenkins dude's a total doofus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, from a few that's the word on the street. That's the word on the street. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess my reliable source is Jimmy World, who, <laughs> I mean... I think I consider them a reliable source because I like their band and they a lot. Put a lot of the work in, so they've, you know, what I mean, they've worked, yeah. Jimmy World has worked with so many bands in the time that they've been around that right. throwing that word out is, you know, it's probably pretty exclusive. Yeah, it's rare that you see bands call out other exactly band, like popular band call out another popular band. So it does seem, oh, dude, you know what's funny is I have a friend who played a show with them too. I think he had also had a similar story. That dude being a total doofus. <laughs> Doofus, doofus is the word I'm choosing to use on this live stream. <laughs> Motherfucker, I wrote Semi-Charm Life. What did you write? Dude, like, the most yeah. entitled I ever saw was the 97 Warp Tour, and it was Kid Rock. Yeah. Oh, shocker. Oh. And he came out, he came out, and the crowd almost immediately booed him, which, you know, it's like the, the Warp Tour, everybody's being punky and edgy, but they didn't boo Eminem two summers later or Katy Perry two summers later they were booing Kid Rock because he sucked and he's like yeah. suck my nuts I ain't finishing this fucking set y'all don't deserve it <laughs> and everybody started cheering 
<laughs> I mean, people were throwing nice. stuff at him. Not unlike the attitude I got when I didn't buy a postcard covered in whiteout. I'm trying to remember who it was. There was some random band. I wish I could remember who it was. They played the Gathering of the Juggalos, and they just got pelted with bullshit. Like, people were throwing, like, beer bottles and shit at them the entire set. But because they never stopped playing by, like, the final song, the, the crowd had turned positive towards them because they're like, all right, they put up we'll with it. it. I guess they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's stick it out. You know what? My brother, he wrestled at the gathering, and y'all treated him really well. So I actually really love Juggalos. Can, can I tie this all in a big bow yes. so perfectly? Why did we not think of it? Whoop, there it is. <laughs> Whoop, whoop, there it is. <laughs> whoop, whoop, there it is. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, so let's... This has been fun. We, we got to talk about Thunder Blunder for yes. non-blondes. Jonathan. Okay, this song is Thunder because it's got all the talent involved and it was a stratospheric hit for the band. It was, so, it was such a... It, it, this isn't Blunder just based on Linda Perry's career. Like She's an incredible songwriter and she knew going in that this was going to be a hit and it was. I feel like a one-hit thunder is something that's a little flash in the pan and wasn't, in a, you know, it wasn't replicable. And her songwriting shows this is replicable. It's like she can write these hits. Yeah. Okay. Matt? Uh, I mean, I'm also going to go with Thunder. I actually was shocked how much I really enjoyed this album <laughs> from front to back when listening to it today. Uh, this is absolutely my wheelhouse of music. Uh, and just two quick things, just throwing it out there because I can't believe we didn't mention it. Um, obviously, this song became a massive meme with the He-Man uh, lip sync video that I think is like still <laughs> right. among like one of the most like watched YouTube videos of all time. I had this real sad moment when I was typing up the lyrics in the notes, and the opening line is "25 years into my life and still," and I'm like, Jesus Christ, 25. <laughs> it's been a it. long ass time since I was 25. Yeah. It was real upsetting to think that she was 25 writing this song because I think as a kid, I'm like looking at that video being like these old people and now i'm like oh god I'm and so shout out to linda perry for the uh, charity that she still does putting on concerts and things like that to to benefit groups like the la gay and lesbian teen center i totally got that name wrong but it's a place that i've definitely donated things to um yeah. but she's now, linda a, perry she seems pretty, pretty cool. amazing actually and, yeah and she was married to melissa gilbert for a stretch and who doesn't love that there you go all right chris <sighs> Why you gotta drop that she's like? Why you gotta drop that she's like a really good person on top of everything else? Because I was I wasn't doubting like Linda Perry. Yeah, she wrote beautiful. So you're not gonna be able to say she's a blunder. I mean, she wrote a lot of hits, but four non blondes. I'll never listen to that album again. <laughs> That's one thing. Mm -hmm. I listened to it three times today. Those are the last three times I'm ever gonna listen to that album. <laughs> What's up at this point? All the enjoyment of that song just through repetition has been sucked out of it for me. Like when I hear it, I want to change it and add the karaoke aspect to it. And I would say that Four Non Blondes are, you know, not Linda Perry. Four Non Blondes is a blunder. And I would be fine with not ever hearing Four Non Blondes again. Yeah. But I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. No, that's the danger right. of karaoke. Do not audience pick a song for karaoke over three minutes you're making yourself the enemy yep all right john real quick what are you up to what is anything you want to promote real quick before I want we tie to promote, up the episode i'm sorry matt i want to promote the uh geekscape network uh you can find us at our socials on facebook youtube twitch twitter all those places search for geekscape you'll find us and you'll find a lot of matt shows and i really just want you all to go to the gofundme linked in this episode description and uh and support 
Yes. Yep. Yes. Go to go to geekscape.net and see what's going on. <laughs> Can't breathe. Oh. I don't know why you do this to me. Stop, please. And please show me some sympathy. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Vefalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing You Mean the World to Me off the Punchline album Major Motion Picture. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. If you want to start a podcast, you should contact Chris and myself at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.